nights when one drink with the girls turns into a bottle, but you need your car for brunch the next day. There's pickup. Or at Friday work drinks, where you don't want to leave your car with expensive tools at the pub. There's pickup. Don't miss out on the fun. Get a pickup. Simply book on our app, and we'll pick you up to drive you and your car home. Two drivers arrive, one drives you home in your car, and the other driver follows. Download the pickup app today. That's PKUP, and wake up worry-free. Hi, I'm Macaulay Jones. Dick Johnson from DJR Team Penske, and you're on Inside Supercar. From the racetracks across Australia, and here's Inside Supercars. Well, today we're speaking with Luke West, who's the author of The Immortals of Australian Motor Racing, The Local Heroes. Luke, it's great to have you back on. It's a very interesting job you've done. Pick out the 10 best local heroes of Australian motor racing. Yeah, it's been a fun project, Craig, and it came about because uh, my connections to Gelding Street Press, who are the book publishers, they have a series called Immortals of Australian Sport. And thus far, they have uh, released two books. The first one was on cricket. So there was 11 cricketers, the best of the best. And the second book was uh, the Rugby League Immortals. So it was the actual uh, 13 uh, NRL Immortals. Uh, and that's where the Immortals concept came from. So uh, selecting a, a group of uh, influential players who had uh, who changed the game basically through their actions, deeds, and results. So that was that's the premise of the models of Australian motor racing. Choose the best of the best um, guys uh, on the local scene, drivers on the local scene, whose uh, fame and name will endure over time long after they're retired, in the case of a couple of them, long after they're passed. Um, so it's not only results, it's, um, you know, did they move the game along? Did they change the game? Are they enduring? Um, and, you know, did they do other things in the sport? If we start pre-supercars, who are, in your opinion, the immortals? Pre-supercars, so pre-five-litre touring cars, well, I think... Um, there's, uh, Bob Jane is number one. Uh, he was, uh, a star of the, uh, 60s and then, um, built the Thunderdome long after he retired, uh, achieved so much and, and Jewers today, his name, everyone knows Bob Jane, a lot of people because of, uh, uh, his name applying, being applied to the business still in the family, Bob Jane T-Marts, and the jingles that you hear pretty much every time you turn the radio on. But he achieved so much on and off the track, Bob Jane. So, he's yeah, he's number one in my book. And um, then uh, Alan Moffat is the next and uh, one of uh, the most intriguing characters uh, in motorsport history, Alan Moffat. Um, I've had a lot of dealings with Alan over the years, and uh, there are definitely two Alans. There's the one you speak to one day who's all charming, and then there's the one you speak to the next day, and it's though you've never met him before. He's um, He can be 
quite abrasive, but equally uh, at other times and, and more so when you get to know him, he's thoroughly charming and, and sensitive man. So uh, just intriguing characters right through Australian motorsport. So I had uh, had a great smorgasbord to choose from and these massive names. Mm. Brock and Moffat almost go hand in hand for their rivalry and then that was taken over by Brock and Johnson. And those rivalries feature throughout the book. They do. Um, in the case of uh, the Brock Moffat rivalry, that drew so many people to motorsport in this country. Uh, you had the the ultra charming, ultra um, you know people's champion, the the Holden driver Peter Brock up against the uh, arch enemy, the the guy Alan Moffat, who was prepared to wear the black hat at times, even though he was the hero of the Ford Hordes. Uh, and then, as you say, uh, when Moffat stepped out of the Fords, uh, Dick Johnson, God love him, came along just when he was needed uh, and he rejuvenated the uh, motor racing scene in the early 1980s. But with each of those guys, uh, in each of those drivers, uh, I look at what they did for the sport. And it's well, I have a, a chapter, a long chapter on Peter Brock. It's just not only a run through his career sure there's you know a bit of biographical details there but it was you know what did peter brock do for australian motorsport you know you think if there was no peter brock would the sport be as popular would holden have sold as many cars um would bathurst and supercars be as popular as they are these days just through his magnetism uh and the number of people that he uh he drew to the sport, got them watching the television coverage, got them at the racetrack. So, um, yeah, the book's not, as I said, the book is not just about the careers and what they did. There's, you know, I do go into the biographical stuff, but it's it's much more. I'm telling the stories of those drivers. Mm. Two drivers that feature in the supercar era certainly came to the world, the racing world's attention and the, the general populace's attention in two very different ways. One, Craig Lowndes, the, the smiling kid that, uh, you know, jumped out on the page in 1994 at Bathurst. And then on the other hand, you have the greatest touring car driver of all time, Jamie Winkup, who, safe to say, was a slow burn. He was, he was. Lounge first. Now, I would imagine that most of your listeners, Craig, would be well aware that Craig Lounge shot to superstardom, became an overnight sensation at Bathurst in 1994 when he passed John Bow late in the race after a restart um, and passed Bow around the outside at Griffin's Bend at the end of um, Mountain Straight and announced himself to the motor racing world. And he was a star ever since. And everyone went, wow, this kid, where's he come from? This is fantastic. How awesome. But I don't know that a lot of your readers, uh, sorry, your audience would know that the reason he came to be driving the car, the young new co-driver on debut, driving the car late in the race, is that his co-driver that day, Brad Jones, had to put in a double stint early in the race. Um, or sorry, to recover the car's position because Craig Lowndes very nearly threw it away. And uh, he was quite slow in the wet 
lounge and he admits that. And uh, something else happened where he very nearly crashed the car. Uh, and it was Brad Jones as the lead driver who got back in after uh, Lowndes' stint and did a double stint uh, in the middle of the race to drag that car back up and get it back into contention. Then for the final stint, Lowndes got back in the car when it was never the plan and he starred and, and he deserves all the accolades. But I reckon... Craig Lowndes needs to buy Brad Jones a slab of beer if he hasn't already um, to say thank you so much. What even fewer motor racing fans know is that uh, around about midday when Lowndes was doing his first stint and the track was still greasy, he had a massive spin at the top of the mountain at Salmon Park. And over the years, uh, you and I, Craig, have seen a lot of cars crash there. Most cars that spin crash. They hit the wall. That's the end of their race. Somehow, around about midday in 1994, to his 1,000 in those days, Craig Lowndes had a spin and got away with it. Somehow, he did not crash. Imagine how that would have changed motor racing history if Lowndes actually had hit the wall at that point. Would he have got another opportunity? Because you only have to think of what happened to Cameron McConville um, the year before when he was driving for Dick Johnson and he had a, had a crash at the top of the mountain. That put McConville's career back years, um, but Lowndes had a biggie. He got away with it. Now, I put that to uh, Craig Lowndes a few months ago, uh, sorry, last year when I was researching the book and I interviewed him and I said, oh, Craig, many people ask you about this and about uh, the spin you had um, early in the race? And he said, no. And I said, has anyone ever shown you a pic of your car spinning? Because it wasn't captured by TV. There are no known photographs of this, and he said no, so it didn't happen. So, of course, he uh, was joking at that point. So imagine, Craig, if uh, Lowndes had actually hit the wall earlier in the day when he spun at Salmon Park. Not too many people have got away with that one. No, that is 100% correct. And, and by contrast, a man who would end up being his teammate for many years and become the seven-time champion of supercars he did have those well-publicised moments in his early years of his supercar career. <laughs> Danny Winkup, the GOAT, the seven-time supercars champion, sacked after his first year in the category with Gary Rogers Motorsport. So I think that was 2003. So imagine you are Tom Hanks's character in, um, what was the name of the film? It's, oh, League of Their Own? Uh, no, the one where he, he was marooned on the uh, island after the uh, plane crash. Yep, that's... Um, um, <laughs> oh, God, I wish <laughs> I looked this up before I brought it up. Yes. Anyway, so uh, wasn't I'll recover cast away. the situation. Castaway. So imagine you were a castaway on an island at the end of 2003 after you've witnessed a very... Poor season from debutante Jamie Winkup, all right? And then you came back um, 15, 18 years later and you were rescued 
and you're a motor racing fan, the first question you ask after you've been marooned on that desert island all those years is, oh, he's been winning all the championships in the supercars. And someone said, oh, Jamie Wincup, you wouldn't believe him because at the end of 2003, looked like his career was done. He did get another opportunity with Tasman Motorsport um, in the Enduros and was able to do enough to get a full-time seat and do enough to be uh, picked up by Roland Dane from Triple Eight. And Roland was only looking for a co-driver, really, and a steady hand uh, and uh, just to uh, give support to Craig Lowndes. But, of course, Wing Cup was the star. He blew off Craig Lowndes and uh, established himself as the greatest of all time. I think that's a great story. Mm. And I love the contrast, as you've suggested, between the overnight sensation Lowndes and uh, the guy actually statistically has achieved more but had a disastrous start to his career and was lucky to get another opportunity because a lot of rookies after one year, they they have uh, better seasons than Jamie Winkup did for his uh, rookie season and they don't get another opportunity jamie did and to his credit he grasped it and uh, he was off and running yeah i've, I've always been fascinated about the story and uh, jamie's told it on this show he actually didn't have money for a return fare when he went up to queensland <laughs> to meet with roland that's <laughs> where he was at uh, financially in motor racing so it is it has been an amazing time um we, we've talked about Brock, we've talked about Moffat, we've talked about Lowndes, and also about Jamie Winkup, but there's another name in there that certainly has been an amazing icon of motorsport, and, well, you might not be getting a Christmas card from him this year, uh, Luke, because saying Mark Scaife is the equivalent of Eddie Maguire and Eddie Everywhere... Well, I'm sure Mike would like Eddie's paycheck, but I don't know if he really would be embracing that sort of uh, comparison. I am going to get that phone call from Mark Scaife for later this year when we can go back to racetracks. He's going to give me the trademark Mark Scaife death stare um, because in the book I do describe him as, uh, in those terms, as the Eddie everywhere of Australian motorsport. He's been involved in driving. He's been involved in team ownership. He's uh, been involved in circuit construction and design. He's been involved in uh, setting the rules for supercars and the car of the future, so the current rules. Uh, And now, lo and behold, at the point where uh, majority owners of the Supercars Championship, Archer Capital, are looking to sell their share, Who's there as the spearhead, the front man of one of the bids? It's Mark Scaife. He also, I'm led to believe, once donned the red rooster chicken suit. (laughs) That's how much he was out there. (laughs) And I reckon uh, Armour or Pole winner when the... um, uh, the armor all man that's got the hammer and the shield. If you whip his head off, that'd be Mark Scaife in there too. So now I do, I, I, I make fun of Mark Scaife, but his contribution is enormous. And he is, I don't think we've had a driver who is as driven as Scaife in the championship or, you know, in motorsport generally. So while I just, I hugely admire 
what he's achieved in motorsport over the years and uh, what he will continue to achieve. And, of course, we didn't even talk about his role as, as a commentator. He is Eddie everywhere, though, isn't he? <laughs> and we've got through seven of the ten. Who are we missing? Larry Perkins. I want to talk about Larry Perkins. Mm-hmm. He was- and I want to talk about uh, the Bathurst win in the 1990s in the Castrol Commodore that nobody talks about. What, the one where he had the pit on lap one? And went to and the back of the field. Everyone talks about that. So remember, he, he won in 93, and that's fondly remembered because that was the last victory for a Holden-engined car. All the other major Holden teams went to the new uh, Chev engine, and he said, no, I'm going to stick with the Trident too. true Holden engine, and uh, that was a winning move. You know, It was a crafty engineering move there. Everyone remembers the last to first in 1995, but no one remembers that anything too much about uh, 1997 when he won uh, with Russell Ingle. That was his last Bathurst victory. And I think that says a lot, that victory at Larry Perkins, because as I've got in the book, that he was always the guy that was happy to be uh, toiling away out of the spotlight while the show ponies were poncing around. Let me tell you, the show ponies were uh, poncing around at Bathurst in the lean-up to the 1997 race uh, in the sense that there was a lot of attention on the Brock-Scaife combination. I'm not saying those two guys are show ponies, but they did get a lot of attention, particularly when uh, Scaife put 05 on pole position in 97 for the race on the Saturday in the Sunday papers. Oh, wow, this is this is uh, Brocky's last Bathurst and it looks like he's going to win tomorrow. Earlier in the week, Glenn Seaton was fastest. Um, Jason Bargwana was fastest on the uh, Friday. No one was talking about Larry Perkins and Russell Ingle. But lo and behold, all those other drivers that were in the spotlight fell by the wayside, and which of the to- which was the only top car left, uh, truly front-running car in 1997? It was Larry Perkins, just quietly going about his business of winning the race. I think that says so much about Perkins. Indeed it does. Two to go. All right, so uh, we haven't spoken about Jim Richards, and I think that... He's a New Zealander. Uh, <laughs> Ah, I knew you were going to highlight that. Again, I'll take you back to the title of the book, The Immortals of Australian Motor Racing, The Local Heroes. So this is not about Australian drivers. This is about the guys who starred on the local scene, regardless of what passport they held. And you notice I never said anything about uh, Alan Moffat having a Canadian passport (laughs) and an OBE from Canada. (laughs) That's right. So. It's, it's about the drivers who starred on the local scene, and Jim Richards most certainly did that. And, of course, everyone talks about uh, Jim Richards being the ultimate driver in the, in the rain, and that's 100% true. But, um, you know, he's just natural gift. I don't think there was anyone more naturally gifted, certainly not in my list, um, of 10 than Jim Richards. Yes, it'll be interesting in about 10 years' time whether Jim Richards is the best 
a New Zealand Australian driver or whether it might be Shane Van Gisbergen? Yeah, that's it. I reckon if I was writing this book in about five years' time, uh, it'd be pretty hard to keep Van Gisbergen out of it. Looking uh, from the outside, looking in, but, uh, yeah, I think we're on the verge of seeing multiple Bathurst wins and multiple championships. Is he going to have the enduring fame, Shane Van Gisbergen, because he's quite a shy chap? Uh, he probably doesn't lend himself to the immortal side of things outside the car, but working in his favour is he has a very distinctive name and uh, he's slowly becoming, I think he's on the verge of being a household name these days. So... Mm. Um, I know my friends who aren't into racing, they're saying, oh, who's that, who's that guy that's winning all the races at the moment, uh, Van Gisbergen? So he is coming to the attention of just general sporting fans, not just motor racing guys. The last name on the list that we haven't talked about as yet. Colin Bond. Well, he, uh, he would have got a few of the non-touring car people happy with your list a rally driver who did uh, a lot of different things, including around Australia trials and and the like. Yeah, the only driver uh, to have won Bathurst, the Australian Touring Car Championship and the Australian Rally Championship. So he is Mr Versatile. And um, I've interviewed Colin a number of times and he's just a fascinating character, a real gentleman. And um, he admits that oh, I could have achieved so much more if, uh, if uh, you know, I was as ruthless as some of my competitors. Not that he cares because he just had a whale of a time for, for so long. A long career, achieved so much, um, did so many cool things. And he's quite comfortable with what he's achieved in the sport. And, well, and he achieves so much. Really interesting character. And for Ford fans in particular, he, his ability to understand the situation he was in. Alan Moffat in a failing car ran out of brakes about 20 minutes before the end of the, uh, the race. And he made the decision that he would pull up beside him on the last lap. And yeah. we had that one-two finish. The in-car, you know, it wasn't like nowadays where they can radio in and there was, you know, the, the, the people in the pits uh, constantly providing information. This was in a time where uh, Alan always has said, I was using ESP to tell him to do this. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So to be astute enough to uh, make that decision and... Um it's past part of his lasting legacy, isn't it? The gentlemanly manner in which he conducted himself, um, but still achieved so much. So, no, I'm a big fan of Colin Bonds. Yeah, and then went on to be a driver, uh, standards observer, as they call him now, and has been an official throughout motor racing. So, really giving back to the sport that he loves so much. That's right, president of the Australian Racing Drivers Club, who for a long time uh, promoted and organised the Bathurst 1000. Um, so, yeah, so falls into that category. I think to be an immortal, you need to have achieved and made a contribution to the sport in an on and off the circuit. And uh, CB, the cheerful chuckler, most certainly did that.
Well, Luke, it's been a pleasure catching up with you here on Inside Supercars, where we've got to speak to you about the immortals of Australian motor racing, the local heroes. And uh, it's going to promote, I think, a lot of chat amongst fans of motorsport who will now get to uh, pick your list of 10 to pieces. But (laughs) that's always part of the fun. <laughs> yeah, very much so, and uh, no, I'm sure that a lot of dads will enjoy receiving the book on Father's Day. And let the debate begin, Craig. Available in hardcover, and I know that it's got some fantastic pictures right throughout, highlighting the careers of the immortals. Very much so. We tapped into the image bank of uh, AN1 Images, the uh, pictorial department of uh, V8 Sleuths. So. Um, Aaron Noonan and his team have supplied some uh, magic shots, including some that have never been published before. Um, so, yeah, um, 10 chapters plus the uh, honourable mentions and uh, fully illustrated, as you say. So uh, thank you so much for having me on the show. No worries. And uh, it is only just a month after your previous book that you edited, Supercars, The Holden and Ford Era, which has uh, been going gangbusters over the last month since it hit the shelves. Yeah, very much so. It's just sort of the way things have happened. Um I wrote uh, the Supercars book in uh, 2019, uh, my section of it at least, and uh, edited uh, the rest. So it's a season-by-season review of uh, the Ford versus Holden era from 1993 to 2020. It was originally going to be published last year, but when we learnt that uh, the last official year for Holden was going to be in 2020, uh, we delayed its publication by one year. So uh, I know we've got Holdens on the track still, but we don't have official representation of the Holden Motor Company in the category now, like we did to the end of last year. So, yep, uh, it's uh, all the season reviews right through to the end of the 2020 season. And when Shane Van Gisbergen crossed the line, at Bathurst last year and grabbed the Holden flag and that pivotal moment, that uh, memorable moment. So uh, it was great to be able to delay the book so we got the full Holden versus Ford official era in. Yeah, and uh, whilst it is the latest and the uh, completion of the trilogy of the Immortals by Gelding Press, Street Press, I'm interested in the fact that if you like racing of a single horsepower... Alan Whitaker has got the fourth instalment of the trilogy in the Immortals of Australian Horse Racing, The Thoroughbreds, coming out on the 15th of September. Yeah, just in time for the build-up to the uh, Spring Racing Carnival and the Melbourne Cup. So um, Gilding Street Press, very, very excited about this series. And uh, it's my job to sign up other authors for um, additional books in the series so you can expect some other um non-horsepower sports to be covered in the future i can't give away too many secrets but uh uh, yeah check out gelding street press and check out uh the discount department stores where they'll have a wide variety of the gelding street press uh books on offer and uh, no very exciting times and uh book books are going gangbusters because a lot of people give them as gifts so uh, a lot of these books are targeted to men and they're given to them 
by their significant females in their lives. So, uh, yep, and they enjoy it too. Great, great gifts. Well, it's the immortals of Australian motor racing, the local heroes. It's on sale now. Luke West is the author, and we thank you for your time today here on Inside Supercars. Thank you, Craig. Thanks for having me on. That's it for this week's edition of Inside Supercars. Until next time round, keep smiling and bye for now. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next time for more or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited.